What's up, Habitual Hero listeners? Pedro here. What you're about to hear is a conversation that I had with Nate McCanian, Dr. Anson Whitmer, and John Trevanian about habits. We cover everything from what a habit biologically is to how habits work. And then, in, in my opinion, most importantly, we discuss strategies for breaking bad habits and replacing them with good ones. To give proper introductions, Nate McCainian got his Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Michigan in Biopsychology, Cognition, and Neuroscience. He is a certified meditation trainer and most recently wrote and voiced the Science of Meditation series on the Simple Habit Meditation app. Anson Whitmer is currently the Director of Data Science at Calm, a mindfulness and meditation app that I'm sure most of you have heard of, and then did his postdoctoral work in the psychology department at Stanford. He knows what he's talking about. And last but not least is John Chobanian, one of my good friends. He's been helping me out with the project. He doesn't have any psychology experience. Just like me, he's just another guy trying to trying to learn learn more about how he can get better. There you have it. Enjoy. And the first guy to start talking is Anson, by the way. And here we go. Typically, we go through life, we have motivation and goals. Yep. And we use a kind of control system in our brain to keep our behavior directed towards those goals. Um, When we don't have those, we fall back. Our default nature is to fall back onto habits. so if someone so someone could be villainous potentially because they have bad goals in that kind of control yep. system, they have a desire to do bad things in the world. Alternatively, so they could be kind of more villainous because they're not very good at setting the good goals mm-hmm. and they fall back into default patterns of behavior that aren't very aren't very good, uh, such as starting to use drugs. Etc. Um, so they're kind of like two different routes towards which someone could become villainous. Um, one's kind of a little more accidental lack of control. Another one is a more intentional go the wrong way. What I find particularly interesting is how you guys think about um, habit in the in as it as it is applied to somebody who sets a particular goal and ends up wasting all of their time on Instagram. How would you guys define habit in that context yeah i think uh yeah it is really important that we have a clear definition and a fairly understandable one is that habits are behaviors that occur automatically in response to a contextual cue got it something happens in your environment and you automatically start doing something interesting the contextual cue could be uh, external environment it could also be an internal environment so Hmm. you feel negative in some sort of way and that could lead you to respond habitually uh, with a, say, with worry as a form of thought, which is a habitual form of thought. Or it could cause you to use drugs, or um, it could also cause behavior. Uh, and I think uh, for our discussion, it'd be good to also delineate um, what is going on at the cognitive and neural level. When yep. we talk about habits and motivation, and that is, not everyone knows they they are really two separate subsystems in the hmm. brain. Um, when we have motivations and goals, we're using the prefrontal cortex or like the front outside part of the brain. Okay. That's really good for exerting control and directing us towards uh, behaviors and uh, 
and allowing us to do what we want to do, whatever is consistent with our motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't always be motivated and we can't always be goal-directed. We're often tired or maybe we're stressed and that impairs cognitive control. Um, plus, it's just there's so many little choices we make through the day. They can't all be decided in a top-down fashion. So it's actually really helpful for us that we have this alternative secondary subsystem which is uh, that the habit system. And this uses the striatum. It's a more primal, uh, primitive uh, part of our brain that we share in common with uh, lesser animals. Um, and this simplistic part of the brain is just very good at learning. If a cue happens and you respond in a certain way, that it will lead to reward. That's all the system really is doing is saying, hey, in this queue, do this and you'll get a reward. (laughs) And as more time goes by, you stop. The system doesn't even really care as much about the reward happening. It just knows, hey, this contextual queue happened and I know I'll get a reward. So you get like this burst of dopamine that happens Right. right when that queue happens. It's kind of a little bit like the Pavlovian dog where, uh, at first, it's trying to chase every time the bell rings and knows it's going to get food. The reward of the food, that's when it gets the burst of dopamine, when it gets this reward. Over time, the bell rings and it gets the burst of reward just from that bell ringing. Uh, so huh. this simplistic system is able to kind of take over behavior um, and uh, make tons of decisions for us uh, so that all the small decisions we're making through the day, don't, doesn't, they don't have to be done in a top-down sort of way if we're done automatically and that frees up our kind of control system to make important decisions and and think a little bit bigger picture um, so with those two systems operating they're always kind of in competition with each other and if you have a strong goal and strong top-down desire to behave a certain way you will act that way but if you are tired or uh, you, if for some reason your kind of control and that top-down control is impaired, then you'll just default into the habitual form or way of acting. Uh, and alternatively, there could also be situations where the habit is extremely strong, and then you need to have way more kind of control to be able to override it. Um, so, hmm. and this kind of like, you get situations where if you want to form a new habit, it's good to do it in a way where you're not competing with an already really strong habit. So say you want to go to the gym and work out, yeah. but you go home first to pick up your climbing clothes after work, or I say climbing because I like to go rock climbing, yeah. uh, nice. your, your gym clothes. And, uh, but normally when you get home, you turn on the television or you open the fridge and eat a little bit of food and sit down. That's a really strong habit that you have in that contextual cue of getting home after work. Uh, and if you're feeling a little tired after a long day at work, your top-down control will be a little bit impaired. You won't have quite as much motivation. Uh, so it'll be really easy for that habit, uh, that habit system to take over control and just push you to do what is normally led to reward in that situation. Uh, so if you want to avoid having to compete with that habit system, then the best idea in that situation is like you would bring your workout clothes with you to to work 
so that you don't even go home. You don't put yourself in that situation right. where you have a competing habit that you have to override in order to be able to uh, achieve your goal. Um, Got it. So I think a lot of like the questions we talk about are kind of uh, getting at yeah, that, that kind of competing those two systems. When does one right. win out, the other one win? Right, exactly. And so, so, so two follow-up questions that I, or at least I'll just ask the first of the two. The question that I have is um, the, the idea that your prefrontal cortex or, or our bodies or our brains are in some way, it, it's a necessary function for us to not make decisions from a, in a top-down manner. Um, why is that the case? Because in my mind, you, you know, if, if you could make, if I could make a decisions from a top-down manner, if it meant that I could get rid of, if I didn't engage in my bad habits, then fantastic. Yeah, I, there's just, there are very many actions throughout the day that you have to uh, select. So which room do you go into to take this phone call? If there's just an automatic room you go into, it's, it's really easy. Um, but there's a subtle, like, where do you exit from a building? Like, you don't right. have to figure that out. It's just your body knows where the exit's it, at once you've yeah, done it in building a number of times. It would be way too it's, tiring. It's, yeah, there's thousands of them, and, yeah. and and they really add up. There's this concept of cognitive depletion, where if you make too many decisions through the course of a day, it becomes really hard to make more decisions. And for that reason, you've heard stories about how Steve Jobs always wore the same exact outfit, or Obama had only right. one suit, uh, and that so that he didn't have to waste any of these precious cognitive top-down resources making decisions about what he should wear and how he should look when he needs those resources to make really important decisions. So similarly, we have maybe much smaller decisions throughout the day. And if every single one of them, we had to figure out in a top down manner what to do. We, yeah, we'd be exhausted before we even got to work in the morning. Got it. Yeah. And if I could uh, jump in here for a second, um, I think what's important to mention is that a lot of times people think about habits. They think about um, smoking or going yeah. to the gym. Um, habits are much more inclusive than that. Uh, opening the door is a type of habit. Recognizing facial features uh, and emotions is a type of habit. Hmm. And this is um, evidenced by, by people who actually have deficiencies or, um, or who suffer uh, from uh, brain damage in the areas that account for habit formation. These people actually have trouble making really some of the most minor decisions, right? Hmm. Like they don't know how to brush their teeth. So... Um, habits are really um, everything. You know, most of what you do in the day is a habit. And the reason to answer your question directly, Pedro, yep. that our brain does this is because um, our brain is constantly trying to save energy. And when a habit forms, the brain stops fully participating in the decision making about that process and can then divert attention to other tasks. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. It could allow you to do two things at once, right? Right. Otherwise, you'd always be doing one thing, making one decision at a time. Instead, you could have habits. You're, for example, driving. You could drive and also think about topics totally unrelated to driving. If everything was done in a top-down manner, you'd have to totally focus on driving. Um, and if you lost control of attention for a little bit, you would probably have an accident. Yep. So it's kind of great that we have this automatic system that does take over control. It does do things for us, yep. 
Got it. And, and, and I guess even sort of applying, applying that idea more broadly, um, that's sort of an argument for why, um, why professional baseball players can hit a baseball. So, you know, cognitively, I've, I've, I remember reading somewhere, and if you guys have heard that, if you guys find this, knowing more than me do, if this is nonsense, please say so. But um, I, that I remember reading somewhere that, that a baseball leaves a pitcher's hand, like a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, leaves a pitcher's hand and reaches the catcher's glove at a faster rate than, um, than a, the batter actually would be able to if he was operating in that top-down manner. It would be physically impossible for him to swing the bat fast enough for him to hit the ball, but it's the it's the rep, hundreds of or thousands of of reps, um, and 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 the habituation of being able to see the ball just leave the pitcher's hand and kind of be able to be able to just put the bat with a sense of feel and having done it thousands of times that enables him to 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 knock it out of the park. It, yeah, it, exactly. Got um, it. That is the brain system involved in that kind of procedural memory and then behavioral skills is exactly the same brain system involved in habits. Wow. It's the striatum taking over control. Uh, yeah. It learns how to direct motor behavior. Hmm. Um, so, um, That's fascinating. Yeah. And there's a really awesome book by an author named Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habit. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was a New York Times bestseller. And he uh, writes a chapter on Tony Dungy, who is a, an mm-hmm. NFL coach. And what was different about Dungy's approach to football is that oftentimes in football, uh, in the coaching community, the idea is the more advanced and tricky your playbook could be, the more likely you are, your team is to win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Dungy took that model and completely turned it on its head. And what Dungy did actually is he taught his players not a hundred different plays. He taught them just a small handful of plays and taught and taught them to master the cues that would go into <laughs> every different situation that could play out in that play. Right. So they're gonna get in only a few different types of defensive formations. And depending on what the offending team did, right? They wouldn't have to think about how to defend that play. They would simply rely on the contextual cues of the yep. opposing team's foot positions and where the receivers are going to actually know where to go. So um, there's a lot to be said about reducing the amount of top-down processing, the amount of um, kind of deliberate thinking into decision-making. The military is a wonderful example of this as well. The military trains their soldiers in a way that's very systematic, that essentially is purposed with helping their soldiers um, reduce the cognitive task from operation. It's about uh, training their soldiers to understand how to perform in certain cues in a completely systematic way so that they don't have to think, they don't have to worry. Um, it's, it's very much, if step one happens, then you, you, know, you, right. you flip the switch for step two. Yeah, and following up on uh, Nate's point is how much I'm getting a reverberation in my microphone. I think you're good uh, now. Following up on Nate's point is, in, and also this kind of dual competing system is uh, in athletic skills. Uh, if someone uh, does have thoughts and tries to top-down control how they respond in a certain situation, they're much more likely to perform poorly than if their mind goes totally blank. It's common, uh, commonly talked about like a state of flow uh, when hmm. someone's 
playing say basketball really well or um but that is basically their top-down thinking their verbal part of their brain is turned off and this more primitive part of the brain is totally taken over control and they uh are just on cruise control um so yeah so go ahead sorry uh, fascinating yeah, yeah, can I can I actually jump in? Please there's do. there's really a hilarious strategy that a lot of uh, high school and college coaches um, tell their players in basketball, which is if your um, if your opponent, the person you're guarding, is like sinking all their shots, making all the free throws, just doing all the right things, you actually ask them, "How are you doing that, man? Like, how are you making those shots? Huh. Like, what are you, what are you doing that's working so well?" And what that does is it gets the player thinking, yeah. right? And then they start trying to understand the mechanics behind what they're doing and their formation. And then it throws the whole flow state off, right? Because uh-huh. then they do start using that top-down process. From an act, yeah. So so essentially you, you're you're getting them to engage a completely different part of their brain by asking them that that question. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and similarly, when you are trying to prevent bad habits, you kind of want to engage that cognitive control system as well. So when you are Instagram, say you have a moment pause uh, in conversation or say someone goes to the bathroom while you're at dinner and you just automatically find yourself looking at your phone, checking out Instagram. That's that kind of contextual cue. It's like, oh, you get a little bit of reward if you open up Instagram and you don't even think twice about it before you know it, you're looking at your phone. Uh, If you want to break that habit, uh, what you need to do over time is to really uh, recruit a cognitive control system where you tell yourself, why do I want to look at it? Do I really want to look at Instagram right now? Will it be helpful? Turn the, turn the front of your brain on. Yep. Um, and over time, you'll start breaking the habit because the control system takes over and, uh, and that habitual part of the brain is, is uh, less important in that kind of context. Do you, do you ever... Were you going to say something, Nate? I didn't. I was. If you have a question, go ahead. No, please do. I'll, I'll save the question. Okay. Um, I was just going to say this is where mindfulness is so exactly. helpful in the uh, in in the world of habits because um, it requires a degree of agency in order to you know modify an existing habit. Um, there's actually this, uh, you know, in the habit community among scientists, they call the first part of habit reversal, they call it awareness training, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a three-step process to how habit works, right? The first step is the cue. The second step is the routine. Mm-hmm. The third step is the reward. So in the context of what Anson just said, the cue is um, your partner leaves the room or you're left alone at the dinner table. That's So you are alone. That's the cue. The, uh, the routine is you take out your phone and you open up Instagram. And then the reward is you feel the, the, the rush of the lights, the colors of Instagram, the photos, yeah. all the, the people liking your, in, your, your images. You know, that's, that's the reward. So um, oftentimes this happens really automatically. And when you practice mindfulness, what happens is you start to develop a self-awareness that allows you to recognize when cues are leading to routines. So I'll give you an example from my life. Hmm. Um, I, had, I had a job one time where a manager decided that he wanted to have uh, meetings with me every day at three o'clock. And um, this was a manager who I didn't really see eye to eye with on a lot of things. Uh, in these meetings, I wasn't always entirely sure what his intention was. Um, it really was not a, a, um, a relationship where I felt like I was in control. 
what I do, and I still do this a lot, is I when I'm stressed, I eat. Okay, yeah. food, food is is my is my channel, and um, and there was a period too. where uh, every day at about two forty five. I would go to the kitchen and I would just start stuffing my face with snacks. And then Classic. one day uh, I, I thought to myself while I'm just like eating carrots or whatever, I'm like, I just had lunch an hour ago. I am not even hungry, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then from that, only from that point did I realize that the food was being used as a way to comfort myself. So in that scenario, you know, the awareness that the cue of the meeting coming up, sent me to that routine of eating the food, the reward being the, the stress release. Yeah. Um, and without that dose of self-awareness, that flash of insight where I realized what was happening, you know, I would have kept on going about that happening. And, and so did you, did, did you have to replace that bad habit with a new one or was, was just the, the awareness enough to get you not to um, That's a great question. Um, so there's something called the golden rule of habit formation and the golden rule of habits is you keep the same cue and you keep the same reward, but what you change is the routine. Okay. Hmm. And that's called the competing response. So, um, if the cue is my meeting is coming up and the reward is I feel stress release. What I decided to do is I, would just, I started meditating for about 10 minutes before our meeting. And that gave me that same sense of release, um, that I was getting from, from eating the food. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, that is an extremely important point. That a habit, it, the automaticity of it, maybe will go down a tiny bit if you're not engaged in that habit over time. But really, if you want to get rid of it, it's best to have someone else be really automatic and more automatic, right. uh, a strong competing action. Um, and I've similarly uh, with. Habits are often talked about in the context of behavior um, where you look at Instagram. But as I kind of mentioned earlier, habits can also be something internal. Yep. So one of the topics I studied in academia was understanding why people engage in forms of habitual thinking, such as rumination and worry. And what this basically is, is someone has a negative mental state or something yep. happens to them and they're feeling bad internally that becomes a cue for them to work through their problems, try and understand why they're feeling that way. Um, and so they engage in this kind of worry and rumination around their problems. Um, and probably at the start, it led to a little bit of reward. They've made some progress or they stopped feeling as worried. Um, but over time it doesn't, it stops having as much of a, uh, positive impact and instead starts having this really strong negative impact where it actually makes your mood worse. You don't actually progress any further in solving any of your problems. You just kind of maintain this constant fixation on your negative mood state. Mm -hmm. um, so this like you develop this habit based on this internal mental uh, negative state. Uh, and if you want to replace it, it's not very effective to just uh, say, I don't want to ruminate. I'm going to stop worrying right now. Turn off worrying. If if you've ever worried before, you know that. <laughs> yep. uh, but what you alternatively can do is one, be really good at spotting when you are worrying. And uh, as Nate said, meditation is really good for uh, for noticing that. And that is like this cognitive in cognitive science we call it monitoring. 
and the same prefrontal cortex uh, from your brain is involved in monitoring. So meditation helps with monitoring using that kind of control to see when you are engaging in a, a habit. And then two, it also offers this replacement strategy. So you instead could accept the way you're feeling uh, or take a few deep breaths and let the stress go um, or respond in non-judgmental sort of way. So over time, that context, instead of leading to this just uh, rigid um, overfixation on your negative feelings that goes nowhere, instead turns into reappraisal and a uh, more positive feelings. But then the real critical part of it, though, is replacing that negative mental habit with a more positive habit and getting it to the place where it does become fully automatic that you flow into the better way of thinking. That's so. So it, so it is. I mean, you just said it, but I'm just going to restate it because I think it's that important. But it but but it is accurate to say that that thoughts our habits as well, particular thought patterns. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I, uh, cause, go ahead, Anson. Oh, just they, they cause a ton of harm. Uh, yep. Rumination has been shown to increase incidence of major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. It underlies post-traumatic stress disorder and people suffering from any of those disorders are more likely to fall into substance abuse. Yep. And that has this kind of like shotgun effect of negative ramifications that all come out of this one form of habitual thinking. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a very uh, important form of habit. Is there any sort of, would you say that the same process applies from a negative thought pattern in terms of cue, routine, reward, um, as it does with actual actions? So I, me going to Instagram versus me thinking or versus me having the the habituated thought of wanting to go to Instagram are kind of, I'm having a tough time separating those two things in my in my understanding right now. I, I, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question there? So I'm trying to think if I'm even making sense. Okay. So so if, if I understood the question, yeah, correctly, yeah. Pedro, I think what you were asking was, does the mapping of the Q routine reward um, model also apply to the habit systems of thinking. Correct. Okay. Th thank you very much. Uh, the, yeah. Go ahead, Nate. Sorry. Okay. Uh, the answer to that is yes. So um, I think to keep in mind here is that the reward for a habit does not actually necessarily need to be enjoyable. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to feel good. You know, toothpaste, for example, uses the cooling sensation of mint as mm -hmm. a reward to make you feel like your mouth is clean. Hmm. The funny thing is that most people don't know is that that sensation is actually a type of inflammation in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing inherently wonderful or healthy about it. But associating the cool feeling with the feeling of having fresh teeth is what um, pretty much every toothpaste com company does now. So you definitely um, do get that same mapping, the Q-routine reward response uh, for your thoughts. And um, – it doesn't, your brain, the, the important thing to note here is that your brain doesn't discriminate between good habits and bad habits. Yep. One, um, one analogy I've used, I've, I've heard described, uh, used to describe this that I really like is that almost like, uh, it's almost like a trail. 
So if you think about some woods that are completely clear, no yeah. one's ever walked through it. It's just kind of a blank slate, right? Um, you have one person who walks the trail. That's like having a thought, okay? And then a couple more people walk behind that trail again. Yeah. And so the trail kind, kind of starts to deepen a little bit. Yep. And then you start having more and more thoughts. And the deeper that trail goes, the more future hikers are going to think, hey, this is the trail that I should be walking. And so it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and starts building more momentum. And so this is why I'm sure as everyone can relate to, um, there seems to be a certain kind of momentum to your thinking too, you know, themes to your mind right. that consistently kind of move in waves. Um, so it does, so that, that's the, the visual, right. For, yeah. for how, um, your, your mind gets entrenched in certain thought patterns. And that is what the habits are. It's when that trail has gotten so deeply entrenched that it's automatic, that it's yep. immediately the trail that you think to go down. Interesting. Now, uh, another thing I'd like to add about uh, reward is sometimes it's thought of as just good feelings or something inherently good. Uh, another way to think about it could also be your progress towards a goal whatever that goal is. So it doesn't even necessarily have to elicit good feelings. Uh, it's just feeling like you're going towards where you want to go. Um, so if you have a mental, if you have a problem and you mentally fixate on it for a while and you feel like by doing that, you're helping yourself, then you feel like you've made progress towards your goal. And maybe you actually haven't. Maybe you you're in a more negative mood state after focusing on your problems. And maybe you've actually become more stuck and yeah. become less insightful. But just if you mentally think, oh, that was good. By worrying about this, I am like made progress towards my goal of resolving the thing that's making me worry. Uh, then, then that's a reward. So um, got it. So, so to go back to what Nate said, the reason – so when I when I have that reward of the minty freshness that's actually inflaming my tongue and the inside of my mouth, that's we still that can still be categorized as a reward because I feel as though I'm I'm making myself healthier by cleaning my teeth. Exactly. Gotcha. That's so interesting. Yeah, progress towards the goal, right? Yeah. So so it's all so so habits. So we're all in some okay. I might be making another leap here, so bear with me. Um, but so we're so we're in some sense beholden to the the goals that we set for ourselves. So our habits are always going to follow the goals that we set for ourselves, in in some sense. Uh, no, I mean there there also can just be much more primal forms of reward, uh, and and that's partially why you see habits form really easily with sticky internet content like Instagram or, yep. or Facebook, uh, having kind of social validation is an inherent reward yep. or food eating cake is a, is a reward. So they're able to form those habits easily because they, those rewards, like you not make sure you don't have to even think of a goal. There may be no goal in mind, hmm. but they are immediate rewards. Got it. Right. And um, uh, th this is not something that's, I think, backed by science. This is kind of just my interpretation of it. But uh, something like post-traumatic stress disorder can in some ways be thought of as a cognitive habit. 
because it, it's, it operates on the same underlying model of the Q routine reward, right? Um, the Q is what we often refer to as the trigger, right? Yeah. So um, it's, it's something that, that sparks that memory of um, having lost someone or being in some kind of uh, tragic or traumatic incident. Uh, the routine is that, you know, that electric shock to your brain where um, you are in that deep emotional state yeah. uh, of, of feeling, you know, traumatized. Uh, and then the reward is is that rush of emotions, right? And it doesn't, again, necessarily have to be positive, and it doesn't have to bring you closer to a goal. Um, a lot of times, going back to the beginning of this conversation, it really is automatic, and it really is out of our control. Hmm. So, so, yeah, and I'll follow up on that, and kind of the point that Nate is making is once it is a habit, it doesn't really matter so much if the reward is occurring uh, <laughs> or it doesn't have to occur very often for you to continue engaging in that habit. Interesting. Tune in next time to hear part two of the conversation. And if you've liked what we've put together so far, I'd always appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button. There, I said it shamelessly. Enjoy the rest of your day, people.